Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, Dr. Allen or Jason, if I may. So grateful to be back at Midwestern. One thing Jason did not uh, say, I was actually chairman of the trustees at Midwestern over 10 years ago, back in very difficult times when really it was trying to be determined if even Midwestern would survive or not. And uh, last night when I got here and I, was, I went around campus uh, seeing how things have changed, it's absolutely a miracle of God. And uh, you are incredibly blessed to be at this place at this time. And one of the things that uh, Jason did not share uh, of, of about today is actually his seventh anniversary of being made the president of Midwestern Seminary. And so we are so grateful. <clears throat> We are so, so grateful, uh, Jason. We thought you lost your mind when you agreed to do that seven years ago, but I'm so grateful that God is just really a little a miracle uh, of what Midwestern is today and what it's going to be. Hey, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 9 and 10 in just a moment, um, but I, I, I want to take a moment to just encourage you, as you pray about where God has you be, at the North American Mission Board, we're about planting churches everywhere for everyone. And there's a desperate need for churches in North America, especially in the Northeast, the Midwest, West, and Canada. As Southern Baptist family, 85% of Southern Baptists live in the South. 75% of Southern Baptists live in the ACC and the SCC. It's the other conferences that are going to hell, and we have got to reach them, all right? So it's supposed to be a joke. It's all on me, all right? But I, I, I'm serious. We must. We take some things for granted because we just get so used to them, and we forget how things are in other places. I'm reminded, and I tell the story often about my son. I have, my wife and I have six kids. Um, we, our youngest three, we adopted. We adopted uh, Libby from China when she was one. She turns 18 today. And a birthday party tonight at 9 o'clock. And so um, she's, uh, she's 18. Uh, Michael Lynn is from Ethiopia. Um, we got her when she's three. She's now 15. And then JM, we got him when he was 12 from the Philippines, and he's now 20. And so I have six kids from four different countries. My joke is, when we watch the Olympics, we win, all right? <laughs> but I love to tell the story about JM when we, we went to Manila to pick him up. They said, be very careful with him because uh, he's not used to some of the same luxuries that you have in the States. And I went, luxuries? Uh, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? And they said, hot water. We don't have hot water uh, in, in the orphanage. He's not used to that. And he'll harm himself. And they found JM wandering the streets when he was five and took him to the orphanage. And he was there until he was 12. And so uh, first night in a hotel, can you only imagine your first night in a hotel? You've been in an orphanage for seven years, wandering the streets up until five. And, and so I'm letting him bounce on the bed, do the things you typically do when you've not been in a hotel. Uh, and so it came time for shower time, bath time. And I said, James, come here, buddy. I want to show you something. So I took him into the bathroom. I turned the water on, lukewarm. And then I said, hey, let me have your hand. I took his hand. I put it underneath that lukewarm water. And then I just gradually, gradually turned the water warmer and warmer and warmer until he began to feel hot water for the very first time. And I'll never forget the look in those big brown Filipino eyes as he said, that is wonderful. And I said, it is wonderful. You're going to love it. Now, I'm going to go in there, and you take your clothes off and hop in the shower. And he said, shower? What's a shower? 
And so I had to explain a shower to him because he didn't know what a shower was. Some things did not translate. They had taught him a rough English, but didn't translate. So I had to explain a shower. You ever done that? You know, like it's water from heaven. You're going to love it. You know, it's just those things you forget. I remember the first time we went out to eat in a restaurant. He'd never been out in a restaurant. So I had to order for him. And I just said, hey, bring him chicken fingers. (laughs) He's like, no. I not eat chicken fingers. I not eat chicken. I said, no, son, they're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. He said, well, why did they call them that? And I was like, I don't know. Just dip them in barbecue sauce, all right? You can only imagine the, you can only imagine the first time we had buffalo wings. I mean, you know, it's just, it's so difficult. Uh, but but uh, I'll never forget, though, when he came out about 30 minutes later, that shower, uh, smelling good, all shriveled up, and uh, uh, loving water hot water. And I thought, how many 12-year-olds appreciate hot water? We don't because we're used to it. You know, son, what's your name? It wasn't a trick question, Colin. All right, Colin. (laughs) Don't lie to me. (laughs) All right. Hey, Colin, I picked you because you look like the cleanest one in this section. All right. So, Colin, you had a shower. Uh, The first row being, you know, but they, uh, but Colin, tell me, uh, you had a shower in the last two or three days? All right. Now, be honest with me, Colin. When you took that shower and you felt that hot water, did you go like, yes, hot water? Did you do that? You didn't do that? See, that's what I thought. You see, you see, Colin is what's wrong with America. All right? <laughs> if you're curious, right there it is, all right? Promise. We just, quite honestly, we're all that way. I didn't think that way either, Colin. We, we get used to certain things, and, and we just think it's like it is here, like it is everywhere. But that's not the case. And it's the same thing that's true with churches in North America or around the world. Did you know what the most church state in North America is? It's Mississippi. The most church state. In Mississippi, there's one Southern Baptist church for every 1,394 people. Missiologists say that you need one church for every 2,000 people to, to reach a community. You say, well, what's it like in Missouri? In Missouri, there's one Southern Baptist church for about every 3,000 people. So there's still a, a need, especially in Kansas City and in St. Louis. Um, but again, we're planning churches everywhere for everyone. But what's that like compared to, say, New York? In New York, there's one for every uh, 51,000 people. And you go to Canada, there's one for every uh, 94,000 people. I could go on and on. In Canada, you can drive for three hours and not drive by another evangelical church. And so there's incredible need. I just want to encourage you as you pray about what God would be having you do, whether it's in North America or serving through IMB all around the world, there's desperate need for you. We just need more of you to be on mission. And I'm so grateful uh, for what you're doing. Also, when you're on mission, though, it can be very discouraged. It can be very difficult. I want to throw out uh, some questions here. and These are all gimmies. Um, but three questions. The first one I ask you is, what is the most important thing that's ever happened to you in your life? The most important thing. And obviously, I would expect that you would answer when you trusted Christ as your Savior, received the grace that's only available through Him when you knew Christ. That's the most important thing that's ever happened to you. Second question, what's the most important thing that you could do for someone else? Well, obviously, we think if that's the most important thing that's ever happened to you, the answer would be to share the gospel 
with someone is the most important thing you could do for someone else. Third question and final. What would it take to shut you up? I mean, really, what would it take to get you not to do that? God placed you here to make a difference. You have one shot at this, to be on mission. Regardless of where you're planted and what you end up doing, you are on mission. It's, mission trip's not something you take in the summer. If you read Scripture, a mission trip is something you do every day to be on mission. Apostle Paul went through some very discouraging times. And if you read Scripture, you see there's a lot of people in, in the Bible that went through a lot of difficult times. And, and often it's how you respond to those difficult times that's most important. But if you remember on his second missionary journey, uh, he was led to go to Europe, and he went. He shared the gospel in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens. And in every city, he faced strong opposition to the gospel. It was very difficult. And frustrating, you just sense it and, and as, he, as he wrote. And then he went on a long journey to Corinth. It was over 50 miles he journeyed to Corinth. I can't help, but when you're going through difficult times, sometimes a long drive or a long walk is not a bad thing, but I'm sure you begin to second-guess yourself and think through certain things. He had a, a, a good bit of time to ponder in and, and this time of discouragement. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians, he got to Corinth, but in 1 Corinthians, he wrote this. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he said, I am with you in weakness. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The Apostle Paul said, I came to you with fear and trembling and realizing I was completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit, not in my own wisdom. Listen, God specializes in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. There's not a day I go to work that I don't feel incredibly unqualified to do what I do. God has called every one of us to be on mission. And there are going to be times when you're filled with fear and disappointment and discouragement. But what's interesting in this particular passage, I want to read in Acts 18. Paul was going through difficulty, and the Lord came to him at just the right time with two verses of incredible encouragement. I read these all the time and rely on them. I want to, to read those uh, for you. In Acts 18, it says uh, this, And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And if you just leave that up, I'd appreciate it. He said to Paul, do not be afraid, 
but go on speaking and do not be silent. Do not be afraid, Paul. Do not fear. And you keep on speaking and do not become silent. You do not quit. The two things he said, do not be afraid and do not quit. Interesting in the the way that is constructed, it's simply saying, Paul, stop being afraid. He was afraid. And he was simply saying, Paul, there's no need for you to be afraid. Listen, the task that God calls us to, we're often put in positions where we're going to be a bit fearful, but we need to realize that does not come from the Lord. He's promised to give us the strength we need every step of the way. We just have to be obedient and faithful and sometimes completely trust in him that that fear is not from him. We're simply to be keep our eyes on him and to be faithful. I taught my church many ways to share their faith. And when I, uh, you talk to believers, even uh, seasoned believers often are very uh, fearful about sharing their faith. And it's interesting, I always go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul came with fear and trembling. That's often me when I would go and knock on a door, or we, we would even train our people. We, we trained our people in many different things. We used three circles around NAM now, and there was something years ago called faith that still uh, many use. I taught our people at our church that, F-A-I-T-H. F was for forgiveness. A is for available. It's available for all, but it's not automatic. I is for impossible. It's impossible for God to allow sin into heaven. T is for turn. Turn means repent. And then H is for heaven. It's real simple. F-A-I-T-H, we teach it because it's, you know, it's on your hands. Real, real simple. Well, as a pastor, you'll learn that you always, every church you go to, typically there will be somebody there that will be a challenge. And the larger churches you go to, they multiply. All right? And I had one particular lady in my church at, at Highview who said, uh, our Pastor, I'm going to come to your evangelism class, and I'm going to learn how to do faith, but I am not going to share it. You know, I was like, uh, okay. And you know, when you pastor long enough, you learn just to go with it. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, whatever. This is the lady, like, it, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. You know, I would always tell her, what you could do for me is just not come. That would be it. And so... Uh, but she said, I will learn it, but I will not share it. And her name was Sherry. And I said, okay, Sherry, just come to class. I said, whatever, it's not a problem. And so first week we come, we learned F. The next week we come, we learned A. And it's about the sixth or seventh week into it, she finally come up and she says, look, I'm the only one not going out on visitation. I would like, I, I'll go once. I'll go once and I'll just do F. And that is it. I'm just going to do F. I said, look, whatever you want to do. All right. And so I put her with a really good leader and another uh, guy, and I said, okay, you guys take Sherry. Let her do F when you, if you have the opportunity to share um, the gospel. And so they go into the house. They said it was amazing. They get there. This young couple was very cordial, invited them in. They began to share. Hey, uh, it, it, you know, they did the typical lead-up uh, conversation. They got to that critical point of, hey, would you mind if we would share with you what the Bible says about what it takes for a person to get to heaven? And they said, no, we'd love that. He said, well, Sherry, why don't you, why don't you start us? Why don't you just share F? We do it on our hand, F-A-I-T-H, faith. But why don't you share F? She says, oh, okay. And then she says, F is, F is for forgiveness. We cannot have eternal life, heaven, without God's forgiveness. The leader said it was pretty funny. He said she got finished with F, and she just got so excited and full of herself. She said she went straight to A. 
And she said, and then A, A is available. It's available for all, John 3, 16, but it's not automatic. He said, and then she got so confident with A, she went straight to T and said, hey, T is for repent. It means turn, means repent. And would you like to repent of your sins and ask Jesus in your heart? And she said, oh, just forget it. Would you like to do that right now? And they said, you know, that's exactly what we'd like to do. And she turned to the leader and says, will you pull it on into the garage? (laughs) It's just how she rolled, trust me. (laughs) And so they come back and we do, you know, we come back after visitation and and have kind of a celebration time. And and, uh, we brought her up there trying to affirm her and and everybody was clapping for her. And I said, Sherry, tell the story. And she said, oh, it was wonderful. I shared F. She did the whole thing I just did. I shared A and shared T. And they were all clapping for her. And she says, but you don't understand. I didn't spell faith. I spelled fat. (laughs) My point is this. Apostle Paul knew it's not in his own wisdom, his own strength, although he had all of that. I mean, he was a very intelligent guy. It doesn't matter if you spell faith. It doesn't matter if you spell fat. Quite honestly, it doesn't matter if you spell fa or foof. It doesn't matter. It's, It's not about the tool. It's about the willingness. What I love about when the Lord came to Paul, and he said, Paul, do not fear. Stop being afraid. And then he says something that you're going to need when uh, you leap full time into this thing called ministry is do not quit. For how long? Do not ever quit. He said, go on speaking, keep on speaking, and do not be silent. You do not stop what I've put you there to do. Do not be afraid, and you keep on doing it. Do not be afraid, you keep on doing it. Do not be afraid, and do not quit. And I love that. And those days, and often Mondays, are always such a challenge. You're thinking of all the different opportunities you could have or do, and, but do not be afraid, and do not quit. He says that, but then he follows it up with why you don't have to be afraid and you should never quit. He doesn't leave us hanging. He says this, for I am with you. I am with you. His presence, the reason you don't have to be afraid and you don't ever have to quit is because of his presence presence. You have the promise of God's presence. Remember the Lord said to Matthew, when he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. And then he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the Hebrews, when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Joshua 1, he says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, Paul had been deserted by friends. It was in 2 Timothy when he said, in my first defense, all men forsook me. All men forsook me. Everybody left me, but the Lord, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So the fact he says, 
Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. Listen, what I've learned, friends will walk away, but Jesus will not walk away. You know, life can throw you curveballs. It just does. You have certain plans you want to to accomplish and goals you want, but life can throw you curveballs. You love your kids. Do your very best to provide everything possible for them and hopefully that they will, will, will stay within the guide rails you put out there, but life can throw you curveballs. You go to a particular church or a place of ministry and you have all these dreams and visions of what God could do there, but then sometimes God throws you curveballs. Tell you, do not fear. Do not quit. He says, for I'm with you. I still remember years ago, one of my best friends was in the church, and we were doing a construction project. He owned an electric company, and he said, hey, tell me what the lowest bid is, and, and I'll give you a better price. I'm like, well, that doesn't seem ethical to me. Uh, we're having everybody bid their lowest price. So once you just bid like everybody else is doing and throw us a low price and then you'll get it. And he says, well, I, I do that, but why don't you just, just throw me, tell me what the lowest price is and I'll just beat it. I'm like, well, well, why don't you just throw him a bid? Because that's just not, I don't, man, I don't feel good about that. I, that makes me feel dirty listening to you say it. What I'm saying is this is a, one of the best friends I had. And he left the church and left me over electrical bid. Now, I forgot that the week later, never thought twice about it. <laughs> Not true. I just told you about it. I'm bitter over it. No, no, no. I had to. But what I realized then is it doesn't matter how close you think someone is, no one's closer and will walk with you more true and close than the Lord will. And he says, I will never leave you. He will never, ever walk away. Listen, I promise you, there are times in your life when you're going to feel all alone. But do not fear. You do not quit. For if no one else is with you, he is with you. I'm a Kentucky fan. I want to admit it right up front. Um, we don't typically do that during football season, but I am. I watch Kentucky basketball faithfully, and Jason's a very good basketball player, athlete. I know you guys are starting a basketball team here. I want to encourage you as you do that, I want to encourage you with some techniques that will help you reduce stress and have joy throughout the season. All right? This is a real simple thing. I'll throw it in here real quick. Um, and I'd encourage you to watch sports the same way I do. It, it helps salvage your testimony and, and reduces stress. Now, I tape every basketball game Kentucky plays. I do. Most people tape the games and say, don't tell me the score. I taped it. I want to watch it later. That's not how I do it. I tape the game. I find out the score. And if we win, I watch it. <laughs> if we lose, I delete it. And honestly, it's incredible how that will reduce the stress in your life. I can go back right now. There's some games I've watched 35, 40 times. Seriously, I mean, a few years ago, we were playing Michigan, regional final. 
Big game. We were down by 14 at half. It almost, it was almost halftime. Down by 14. The commentators are saying, I mean, Kentucky's had a great year. It looks like it's going to come to an end. They're down 14. That's an insurmountable lead. And, and they were just piling it on. And was I nervous? No. Because I knew the final score. The second half started. They were still maintaining a lead of over 10 points. They got less than 10 minutes to go in the game. And boy, I mean, the commentators are throwing, is heaping on the stress. Am I nervous? Not at all. I'm at the fridge getting another uh, drink and a peanut butter and jelly. It's just chilling out. Three minutes to go. We're down by six. No stress here. One minute to go. We're down by two. 45 seconds, we stole the ball, we come down, waiting for the last shot, we're down by one the whole season, they throw it to a guy named Aaron Harrison from the left corner, he drills a three-pointer, just as the buzzer sounds, he lets that ball go, am I even watching it, don't have to, I know we win. My point is this, it's a silly basketball illustration, but it changed the entire way I watched that game knowing I was watching it from victory, not for victory. My wife has to constantly remind me I'm not part of the coaching staff nor part of the team, although I get as close to the TV to let the ref know what I think all the time, even on tape. But listen, as you walk through this life and in this thing called ministry, please always remember of God's presence and that you're not living for victory. You're living from it. He's won. There's nowhere you're going to go. He's not been. There's nothing that's going to be happen to you that's not been sifted. There's no shocks on his face about anything in your life. Notice what the rest of that verse says, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You know what he's saying to Paul? Paul, look, I know you're discouraged. Do not fear. Do not quit, for I'm with you. Hey, Paul, there's many people in this city that you don't even know yet that you're going to. You see, Paul, I've got so many other things I want to do with you in this city. There are many people in this city. Right now, you think it's just you, Quilla, Priscilla. No, I, 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 there's a lot of people here, a lot to be done, a lot I'm going to use you to do. You have no idea what I'm going to do with you. Do not fear. You do not quit. No, I'm there because there's a lot left to do, and I'm going to do it through you. There's a guy named Bill I've never met, but I'm very grateful for. Um, Bill went to a home, shared with a young couple the gospel, and through several conversations, the husband gave his life to Christ, and then the, the mother as well. They had three kids, and everything changed on that day. When they accepted Christ, they hook, line, and sink. Singer. I mean, every everything changed in their life. What they did on Friday night, Saturday night, Sundays, everything changed. The way they talked to each other changed. And I know that because that was my mom and dad. 
I'm the oldest, two sisters. There's a guy named Bill. Told my dad about the Christ. <laughs> I've never met him. I hope to one day. But all I know is that that guy shared the gospel with my dad. And because of that, it changed my life. Because of that, it changed my six kids' life. Because of that, I just FaceTimed my six grandchildren's life. Bill had no idea I'd have six kids or six grandkids. He might never even come to the state of Missouri. We just installed telephones for AT&T. God placed you here for a purpose. It's to be on mission. You stay faithful. Stay focused. You do not fear. You do not quit. He will never leave you or forsake you because there is much to be done. Father, thank you for how you love us. You care for us. You know where we are and you know our potential and you know that you can use us to go far beyond our potential. Father, I thank you for this school. I thank you for each student faculty. I thank you for what it has become and what it's going to be. Lord, help us to be faithful as your people, to keep our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.